Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The Israeli security doctrine is based on the assumption that peace is not at hand. That is, even if some of the Jewish state's neighbors sign treaties, their regimes could fall into hostile hands once again. In any event, there will remain other die-hard elements bent on disputing Israel's existence and well-being. The challenge for Israeli strategists is to avoid a constant wartime mentality which will block the country's social and economic progress and find the right balance in fighting its enemies to hold them at bay while delaying major clashes. To further analyze this topic, we're joined from central Israel by Colonel in Reserve Miri Aizin, who is an Israeli public diplomacy, security and intelligence expert at the Institute for Counterterrorism at IDC Herzliya. Thank you for joining us. Shalom. Also joining us from central Israel is Colonel in Reserve Ruven Ben Shalom, who is a cross-cultural strategist and associate at the International Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya as well. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And with uh, us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding. Uh, of course, the conflict in Gaza is uh, a big part of today's program, but in general terms, uh, this is not the biggest fish that Israel is uh, contending with. And uh, there are plenty of other challenges at hand that needs to uh, be kept in the loop and, and be kept highlighted during this uh, period of time. So, Jonathan, I don't have uh, to remind you or our two colonels here that Israel was born in war. Actually, a week ago, uh, on the 15th uh, of May, uh, Israel marked the 73rd anniversary of the day where the uh, Arab countries surrounding it uh, invaded Israel and uh, bombed it from the air. The uh, Tel Aviv airport was uh, bombed on the very first day uh, of its uh, official existence. And ever since, um, there have been, generically speaking, two kinds of war in which Israel was involved. Wars of decision, uh, namely short, intensive, very little wars with a beginning, a middle and an end. Usually the Israelis win, the Arabs lose. And wars of attrition between the wars. This is the kind of war which Israel doesn't want to conduct. It's a nuisance. It uh, uh, prevents it uh, from uh, devoting its energy to social and economic needs. And uh, part of the Israeli defense doctrine used to be that when a war of attrition is waged against it by its enemies, it will escalate to a war of decision. It will not suffer years on end of uh, attrition. However, because uh, in more recent years, the enemies have been organizations or militias or gangs, whatever you want to call them, Hezbollah, Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and the like, there is really no address on the other side and there is no um, uh, benefit in Israel, for Israel in occupying the launching pads, the uh, territories where they fight uh, Israel from. So a new term was 
instituted in the Israeli defense thinking campaigns between the wars. And the idea is that Israel should use, whenever someone attacks it, and that someone could be an Iranian proxy or one of the organizations just mentioned, when they want to uh, choose another time, another opportunity to attack Israel, Israel will counter-use this time in order to degrade from their capability. So when the big war comes, they will be much weaker than they intended. And one uh, recent example has been Operation Guardian of the Walls, which was not conducted between Israel and the Palestinians, but rather between Israel and Hamas. Just to remind our viewers, there is the so-called good or better half of the Palestinian community under President Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian Authority, which has relations with Israel, security cooperation, and uh, other aspects of uh, coexistence. And there is Hamas, uh, which never recognized the existence of Israel and is only waiting for the right time to attack it. So by using this concept of the campaign between the wars, Israel turned the tables on Hamas and hit it very hard so that uh, if it ever decides to attack it again, it will start from an inferior position. Of course, the two halves referring to uh, the Palestinian Authority, the biggest faction of which is Fatah, a nationalistic movement, as Indeed. opposed to Hamas, which is an Islamist organization uh, derived or an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood that uh, within its charter calls for the annihilation of Israel for the mere fact that it uh, controls lands that once were Muslim rather than Palestinian, uh, which uh, is something that is not highlighted enough. But we have two uh, colonels from the two most sophisticated branches, or at least the most uh, utilized branches within the Israeli armed forces, uh, Miri Eisen from the intelligence branch, and Ruven Menchalom from the air force. Uh, I'd like to receive your perspective now. Uh, with regard to the situation vis-a-vis -vis Gaza. We have an operation, as uh, Mr. Oren referred to, Guardian of the Walls, even though the literal translation from Hebrew is Watchman of the Walls. But uh, when we're looking at this specifically, can we regard this uh, indeed as an operation in between the big wars, or is this now already a uh, situation in which a gang, if you will, or a terrorist organization has become a terror army uh, with uh, components that are clear uh, within uh, military structure and are capable to utilize that in order to drive Israel into an actual war rather than just another campaign. Uh, Eisen, we'll start with you. One of the interesting aspects about that definition of campaign between the wars as opposed to the war itself is that it's all about who gets to define it. Who says when it's a war? Um, in 2006, it was, you know, an operation at the beginning um, between Israel when Hezbollah initiated it and did a cross-border attack. And we didn't start calling it a war literally until the end of it and even in the aftermath that we now call it the Second Lebanon War. So it's hard for me to say right now if the operation that we're in will be renamed a war or will be called a war afterwards. When it comes to the intelligence that's needed 
in the campaign between the wars, as opposed to in the high density, high velocity of wartime itself, there's a distinct difference in the um, capabilities. I think that the Israeli intelligence is extraordinary in the campaign between the wars. It's a capability that has been built in such an amazing way. It's used at the beginning in the campaign between the wars. And the more you fight and the longer the fighting goes on, even in the campaign between the wars, there is a drop. I like the term that Amir used, degrade, of the exact intelligence targeting capabilities. Colonel Ben Shalom, your take? We deal a lot with terminology um, and you know, something that it's think that it's very important, something that think that it's meaningless. In the Second Lebanon War, we even had a big clash over this when sometimes terminology takes over basic uh, war fighting. Uh, I think our viewers should understand that this is not a bunch of Israelis sitting down and telling you guys that don't know what's going on. I myself just learned from the opening statements of Mr. Oren, for instance, and in a way changed my perspective about some things. These issues, you know, of what is this? What scale is it? What are we doing now? What are our goals? What is our strategy? Israelis struggled with this a lot, and inside the IDF we struggle with this a lot, and always learn from one campaign for the next. Uh, we have lessons that are derived, we decide things, sometimes we implement them, sometimes things break out, and we change everything on the fly. I myself personally did not even view this last uh, operation or campaign in Gaza as part of the campaign between the wars, because I saw the campaign between the wars more as a clandestine operation done between wars in between operations, when sometimes we don't even assume responsibility for them. I saw that more as uh, the operation to negate capabilities in a secret way, in a secret manner, while nothing else is going on, just so when war breaks out or when we are challenged, then we do not encounter these munitions. But as time progressed during this uh, campaign in Gaza, I see it as one big picture. In a way, this terminology uh, that's evolving of wars and operations and campaigns between the wars, we could view it as one big long war that we're involved in since the establishment of the state of Israel. I myself think that we are at war with Iran, actually, for many years, but this war is not always uh, uh, what we call a high-intensity war, high-intensity conflict. M much of it is under the radar, some of it is un in cyberspace, many things happen in Iran that we do, but we don't assume responsibility, some things happen there that are not our are doing, but they blame us anyway. I think the Gaza campaign was a small component and people can't even make the mistake of thinking that what the IDF just demonstrated is all the capabilities of the IDF. It's just one operation with one terror enclave in Gaza. The next war in Hezbollah will be much more challenging, much more difficult, and we should just see it as a piece, as a part. Next time we will just simply see less capabilities because of what we did. Indeed, uh, there, there is this uh, uh, famous term, casus belli. What causes war uh, with a capital W? And uh, just to uh, uh, get on, on uh, Reuven's tail, not his uh, plane's tail, uh, God forbid, um, let's cast the two of us in the uh, uh, positions of Iran and Israel. Here we are sitting across from each other, and we do not get into a fist fight yet. Why? Because I'm kicking you under the table without you showing it to the outside world, because then you would have lost face and you would have to hit me back 
above the table, or uh, as is now um, usually said, under the radar, um, in which case um, it uh, flares up. Now let's take a, uh, an example from the other side. Nasser's Egypt and Israel's um, Ashkols or Ben-Gurion's in the 1960s. When Nasser, the ruler of Egypt, saw Israel building the Dimona nuclear reactor, he feared that Israel would get the upper hand and would eventually get nuclear weapons. So he planned to strike at Dimona. And for him, it would have been a campaign between the wars. Israel wouldn't have let him. Had he struck Dimona, Israel would have gone to war. All of that goes to show you that it takes more than one to decide, not only the terminology, but to decide whether the other side has crossed the threshold and is now involved in war. So it's, it's very, very delicate. And there were several times in that campaign between the wars against the Iranians in Syria, against ISIS in Syria. Israel, especially the Israeli Air Force, took a major part, which was not publicized at the time, in the fight against ISIS. It's still not highlighted to it, date. Yes, Israel was not an official part of the coalition, but the Israeli Air Force um, struck uh, dozens, perhaps hundreds of times, hundreds of sorties against ISIS was a major contributor to the victory over uh, the physical uh, ISIS. And um, had Israel done the same against some other um, enemy, adversary, proxy, perhaps uh, it would have triggered a wider campaign. So the, both the planners and the uh, uh, practitioners, those who execute the plans, must be very, very strict uh, in what they do in order not to cross the threshold. Indeed. Colonel Eisen, one of the major aspects of any conflict or at least attaining the upper hand in any conflict is good intelligence and intelligence gathering between the wars, uh, something that was quite apparent during a, a campaign uh, guardian of the walls uh, where the, the military had very clearly defined goals, uh, had a clear uh, uh, or database of specific targets in order to degrade, as uh, was put here before, the, the military infrastructure, which uh, provided uh, Hamas and the Islamic Jihad uh, the strategic tools as well as the tactical tools in order to harm Israel and potentially cause Israel a lot more heartache in order to protect the home front during a wider conflagration vis-a-vis -vis Hezbollah and their masters in Tehran, uh, potentially other adversaries in the region as well. How do you see this operation actually being utilized in order to provide Israel a stronger foundation in order to contend with greater threats uh, as uh, currently the Gaza uh, war seems to be uh, not necessarily winding down, but uh, there are less clear objectives at this stage as there were at the beginning of the operation. So the one clear objective that everybody agrees on, that you need to gather the intelligence to be able to strike against it, is the Hamas terror leadership capabilities and infrastructure. We've all gotten to know the names over the last week, two, of 
the metro or that subterranean underground system that Hamas have built with all of the money over the years that has come in for them to be able to be mobile underground, not to protect their people. When we're talking about intelligence capabilities, you have to have enormous capabilities to be able to understand what weapons are coming in, where are the weapons being stored, who are the different figures who are running this who are the ones that are giving the orders? Who are the ones who are executing the orders where they are deployed? How you can catch them, how you can find them, how you can target them and do so in such a way that you're only targeting them and trying as much as possible. And this is also part of the intelligence world to be able to be sure that there are not those innocent bystanders, that there's not that additional damage of bystanders, civilians nearby. Think of all of the input you need to do. Now, Jonathan, in its own way, it's much harder today and much easier. Because I'm going to ask all of our viewers afterwards, those who read Arabic or don't read Arabic, just go online, try and ask a question in whatever language you speak and see what answers you find online, open sources about so many different things, including within the Gaza Strip. So when we say right now that the international community does not believe about the subterranean cities, about the rocket caches, about the capabilities, there's a whole additional aspect of open sources out there. The intelligence community of Israel really, in that sense, has the opportunity to take the best, the brightest, the different ones who are drafted into the IDF, and I think that we do an amazing job. Indeed, Colonel Ben Shalom is somebody who followed through on plenty of intelligence and uh, had the opportunity to partake in hundreds of uh, various operations in order to secure the uh, security of the, uh, the state of Israel. Uh, let's talk about the weapons going into Gaza. Uh, in the past, uh, you're quite uh, familiar with Karin A and, and other operations that uh, Israel has done beyond enemy lines, sometimes far or in the depth of the seas, uh, uh, hundreds of miles away or uh, uh, even thousands of kilometers away in order to harm those uh, weapons before they entered the Gaza Strip. Why isn't it always done uh, in order to um, degrade before they enter the densely populated areas uh, of Gaza, <clears throat> the various capabilities that uh, Hamas is quite clearly trying to accumulate at uh, the behest, of course, of all those countries that uh, blindly, in many cases, support uh, financially and allow them to do so. Of course, we saw the Colnet missile being utilized uh, in various uh, occasions during the current operation, which is a Russian missile uh, capable of uh, uh, penetrating uh, quite significant armor and uh, killing, among others, a five-year-old boy and, and injuring many others. Uh, what can you tell us about that from your perspective, also as a pilot, but also as a uh, commander of uh, uh, within the IDF? Well, first, remember that the campaign between the wars is not a concept that we always had in our military doctrine. It's relatively new. In the past, it, it, broadly speaking, we would wait for the big war, and when it happened, we would fight everything that was there. The campaign between the war means we're doing everything we can to take away these capabilities before they reach the enemy trying not to trigger or to have this very operation launch an all-out war. Many people think that this is only in Syria, taking away Hezbollah capabilities going to Lebanon, but that is not true. 
we've been working very hard to catch these convoys, like you said, like ships and convoys in deserts and in oceans before they reach the Gaza Strip. International collaboration is a key component here. And also remember our allies and friends on the other side of the border. Our peace, the peace that we have now, you may call it a cold peace, but it's a strategic peace. And also here we see very good cooperation and common interests. Remember that when Israel is blamed for the uh, uh, occupation of Gaza, of course, if someone says that, you have to remind them there is no occupation. It's a siege, maybe. But Gaza has a border with Egypt, an Arab country. They have neighbors. Theoretically, they have an open border. They can do whatever they want. Also here, when it comes to weapons, remember that we control what we control. We don't control the Egyptian border. And some things do get through. The Cornet missiles or uh, anti-tank rockets, I imagine, came through there. Some may come in through the ocean. Like in all terror, uh, anti-terror activities, you may catch 100, then you miss one. Maybe that's the case. Another surprising factor, remember that the main thing that we're suffering these days in Israel are the intense barrages of rockets. Unbelievable strategic capability of a terror organization. Where do they come from? Thousands and thousands of rockets. The surprising thing here is that most of them are manufactured locally inside Gaza using raw materials that could be used for construction. So sometimes they can get dual use material, but use that instead instead of construction of school and hospitals, build it for rockets. So most of their resources go to that. The know-how, that's easy through the internet. So they're actually building uh, sophisticated weaponry that looks like it must have come from some from some country, but no, a lot of it is manufactured locally. All in all, I would say that our problem is that we see what we see, we don't see what we thwarted. We thwarted so much, so much would have materialized that we have to take that in consideration, thank the intelligence personnel that caught it and the operators who got it on the way, because what we see is a small fraction of what would have been, and in a way that's the whole idea of the campaign between the wars. Mr. Oven? One of the uh, problems uh, with uh, campaigns between the wars is that you can't judge their success or measures of success and failure until much, much longer. Uh, if people expect uh, assault of uh, the uh, uh, USS Missouri uh, in Tokyo Bay with a General MacArthur accepting the instruments of surrender from the Japanese, it won't happen here. This is not 1967 or even 1973 with uh, generals uh, Gamasi and Al-Azhar meeting and signing uh, um, other, other sorts of uh, interim uh, agreements. And one has to look back 15 years. Uh, Miri uh, mentioned uh, 2006 and, and Lebanon. And only uh, as time goes by and uh, deterrence accumulates, one can look back and see that the achievements far outweighed the price, the cost. At the time, the Israeli public looked mostly at the cost in uh, human lives, both uh, civilian and military, and the fact that uh, the Israeli society was under constant fear of rockets uh, being launched at it. Now it has gotten used uh, to this uh, phenomenon of uh, rockets, and because for 15 years there has been no real clash in the Lebanese border, uh, people would say, well, in hindsight, it was quite successful, that campaign. And um, even now, when the dust 
is settling in Gaza, it is too soon to, to say, too early to tell whether uh, one of the sides got the better of the other. Um, it is much like football when you have a VAR, a video assistance um, to record it. But this time, it is not when the referee whistles for the end of the game, you must wait months and perhaps years to know who won. Indeed, and of course, the, the aspect of wars of attrition are a growing phenomenon in the region, considering the fact that many countries are using proxies, which are, technically speaking, families or tribes being united into a uh, certain militia, which is then uh, equipped by countries like Iran or Turkey or others in the region uh, to do their bidding and are, of course, paid to do so. Uh, are we expected to see this uh, phenomenon in uh, a growing trajectory? And uh, uh, is this uh, spelling additional challenges for the state of Israel in the near future? We're drawing, uh, we have about two and a half minutes before the end of the program. Colonel Eisen, uh, please. Identity politics are probably the thing that most scares me. Who do the young generation in all the arena around us, from Morocco through Iran, who do they identify with? Who are they going to fight for? What inspires them? And here, Jonathan, there's no question that the challenges in front of Israel are enormous, meaning they seem to unite too much against us. The last year, the peace agreements, the agreements with the United Arab Emirates, with Bahrain, Sudan, not so much perhaps, the people with Morocco, these are elements that are very important, but it means that at the end we need to remember those identity politics that you mentioned, am I for my tribe, am I for who am I for and who am I against, will very much impact us in time in the near future. Colonel Menchalom, one minute. So you see the interesting point here is that military personnel are very proud of what they did in their organizations and the IDF did a great job, but we understand that's not the most important thing. We did a good job, so what? Still Hamas is there, their ideology is there, their charter still means they have to wipe us out and they won't rest until they do so. They still operate as a forward operating base of Iran. Even entities like Qatar that are trying to assume this position of honest broker are really harboring the leaders of Hamas. So this whole, this whole idea of proxy war, when we're at the heart of it, the main thing is to tear the masks away, understand the picture, the big picture, deal with long-term strategy, and mainly the international community, instead of just caring during time of conflict what happens to the children of Gaza, care like us for the children of Gaza all the time, and let's start working now in order to reshape the region, the perspectives, the narratives, and maybe we will push further the next confrontation and maybe even avoid it altogether. Indeed, Mr. Owen. We were given a very shocking reminder this time around that there is also an internal front. The riots between Arabs and other Israelis in our cities. Now, whether this will be uh, remembered as a footnote or as a real force, remains to be seen. Indeed, a concerning phenomenon, that's uh, for sure. But I'd like to thank uh, Colonel Eisen and Colonel Ben Shalom for being part of today's panel. And I'd like also to thank our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Owen, and to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.